and not only enabled them, but inspired them to make a a forceful and manful defense of their God-given liberty. You are listening to And If Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host, Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. Got, you got that right, Rachel. This is Mike Levitt. You are listening to that podcast in the sky, And If Love Remains. And I've got teacher, mentor, scholar, constitutional attorney, author, friend of the program, good, great friend of mine, the, the line of liberty himself, <laughs> Dr. Joey Wolverton. Hey, welcome back to the show, man. Hey Mike, man, I wish I, I wish I was the kind of person that could like embrace that line of liberty thing. It would, I, I'm, yeah, I couldn't <laughs> do it, but I wish I could. It was like, uh, I don't know if you know who Jack Hunter is. He, I he don't. Used, he used to be. He used to have a podcast, and he used to be pretty popular. He's kind okay. of, he kind of like got out of it now, and he's doing other things. But he used to call himself the Southern Avenger, and I was like, dude, that's such a cool name. But I that could never cool call name. myself. Like Lion of Liberty, although that's a dope name, but I, I could never pull it off. I would feel that like little bit of twinge of, you know, <laughs> that little cringe at the beginning. You know, like, well, I oh. will call you that and I will, yeah, you and can I will, do it. Put it in other people's it for you. How about that? Yeah, exactly. Put it in other people's <laughs> mouths. It's much easier. <laughs> right. Right. Like never give yourself your own nickname kind of thing. That's right. That's right. You know, it's, it's funny. Like, um, it is interesting. We, and we were, we were talking this about, uh, a little bit about it off air about what a great teacher you are. And, and I say that, like, I know you're, you know, humble about it and stuff, but, but it is true. You are a really good teacher. And one of the things that you, that you do is you do teach unique things that nobody hears about. Um, and, you know, you know, I had this thought in my mind and maybe we can kind of tie the two together a little bit. Um, you know, it's so easy, I think, in today's society for us to get caught up in like what's happening in the world, what's happening in Washington, what's happening in Ukraine, you know, really things that we have little or no control over, you know, if we really think about it. And yeah, they're fascinating and and we probably should have a good understanding of what's happening. But it is, it's kind of tough to find that balance between like, being principled, you're always principled, but, but, but trying to find that balance of like figuring out what's out going on in the world by having it while having a good attitude, um, about, you know, um, what you can control. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, Um, absolutely. I, for me, you know, that is one of the things that I sort of, I slip into it too easily is becoming sort of a, a political commentator. Yeah. And I, I don't like that role for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm, I, that's not who I am. But also number two is I don't think any of that is valuable. I don't think that, the, you know, we're ever going to move the needle back toward liberty by being pundits. I don't think that's ever going to happen. And so I remember the uh, quotation from Thomas Jefferson when he's like, I I've stopped reading newspapers and I just read Sallust and Tacitus now <laughs> because he's like the same things get talked about, but they're much better writers. Right. And so to me, that's exactly what I've decided to do is to return to my particular 
strength, which is teaching uh, principles that are timeless from sources that have been forgotten. And it's it is the only area of my professional life that I've ever really seen miracles, that I've ever really seen success that that buoys you, that propels you on to the next thing is when I do that. When I when I deviate, you know, when I start drifting out of that lane, I I start forgetting of the success in that lane. And I forget that these are things that nobody else teaches. And and I do have that, you know, I don't know, that Quaker mentality of I don't want to brag on myself. And I don't think it is because Anybody could, anybody who had a T, I I do have a talent for teaching and I know that and I don't deny that because that would be, you know, uh, ingratitude to to God. But I also recognize that the message is more important than the messenger. And these lessons from the men who inspired the founding fathers, nobody talks about it. And so, I mean, you could go, you could take a PhD in American history and never discuss Cato's letters or Algernon Sidney or Cesare Beccaria. And that's a shame because those are the, those are the (laughs) principles, the men, the, the, the books that developed within our founding fathers, the concept that they had of liberty, how it how it dies and how you can protect it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I want to do. And the hope is that by staying in my lane, I can find those people who will be inspired by that message. And it relieves from me that sort of uh, uncomfortable sense of being like a personality. Right. You know, it, I, some- I don't have an interest in that at all. Yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes, like I, I think, um, much like the Bible, a lot of people really enjoy and love the King James version. It's a beautiful, you know, the language and all that stuff. Right. And yet, a lot of meaning can be lost because it is archaic. It is different than how we speak. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if you feel a lot of the stuff that you teach, you feel more as like a modern interpreter where, where you're able to uh, take the language, take the, 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 the substance of what they're writing about and go, okay, this is what they're talking about. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, that- yeah, that's a really good point because that was something that I did and then stopped doing. I, in other words, when I first started, for example, the TikTok channel that I have, I, well, I have, I haven't used it in several months, but when I first started it, I would tell a story from history, maybe a quotation, and then explain it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I got away from that. Then I got away and I became, I don't know, something other. And I would just read this quotation and then just say, you guys know what I'm talking about. Well, no, I don't, you know, and right. rather than do that and sort of try to be cheeky and be, you know, like. I don't know, a little bit. I, I honestly feel it was a little bit contentious. The idea being, ooh, I can attack this or that politician by saying something clever. Um, the idea now is to do exactly what you say because that therein lies the success of that and therein lies the the hope of those things 
being used by a rising generation to to restore that which has been uh, you know lost and the idea being okay here's what so and so said here's what it means the way we would interpret it today and not necessarily insist on an application for it not necessarily say here's how you should apply this but say here's what they said here's what how we if we were saying it today here's how it would be now you know however you apply it is up to you and it, and it right. really is because it could have you know thousands of of applications depending on who the listener is and how the listener negotiates the information with everything else that he knows and so yeah i mean I, it seems weird to say out loud that i don't that i stopped doing that because there's no good excuse for it but now having this sort of renaissance of okay that's what i do i take these certain lessons that no one teaches and i teach them in a way that enables people to understand them yeah and that's it that's all i do and that's all i want to do what and and you know we've talked about this it's 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 interesting um you were part of this uh this book club that you've organized and put together which is wonderful where we're reading meditations by marcus aurelius mm -hmm. and and of course you know anybody who's interested contact us if, if you want to you know join yeah. um, it is a fantastic it's been oh man the 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 dialogue that goes on between the, the group members is just priceless, literally priceless. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but what, what I wanted to say is, is, um, is I forgot, I was just got caught up in the moment of how awesome that book club is. <laughs> well, it, it is. I mean, that book club, honestly, what, you know, you were, you were there when we were like, just, thinking of, you know, I thought, yeah. oh, we should do this and kind of deciding what to do. And that book club has literally helped me so much because the discuss, like you were saying, the discussions that we end up having, there's, I don't know, regulars of us, what are there, like nine? Yeah, ten, something like know, that. Yeah. Regulars. And man, the insights I get from people are so astounding to me because I'm like, why didn't I think of that? Which... I'm happy to be, to have that experience. I'd rather have the experience of why didn't I think about that to I'm not getting anything out of this. Yeah. And so just like just yesterday when we have had it yesterday, there were so many things that people pointed out that I was just like, yep, didn't even think about that. Yep. And it, I write them down and I genuinely do try to like, you know, just try to try to um, implement those, those teachings and that inspiration that I feel every week, really try to make it something that I, I use in life other than just being something interesting that I listen to, you know? Right. And what I'm excited about, it's, it's another, I'm going to call it like a resource book in the same way, like the Bible is a resource mm -hmm. book, or, you know, in other words, it's something that you can go back to and mm -hmm. always find more. Yeah. Um, and you don't even need to read it in order. I mean, we're doing that just to make it simple, but you don't, you know, it's not a, it's not a narrative that progresses chronologically. It's just, yeah. this, it's just Marcus Aurelius's random thoughts written down. But yeah, man, that, that, that book is so, so good and so much, so pliable, you know, yeah. every little thing it's like, you can take that and find application for it, for whatever your, your needs are, particularly 
particularly if you're someone who doesn't have maybe the 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 foundation of religion or scripture or whatever, if you're someone who is genuinely and sincerely seeking for some sort of timeless philosophical basis upon which to build a successful life. I think, I think, you know, meditations is good for that for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I'm going to ask you something and and I've never heard you talk in these terms, so I I don't mean to put you on the spot, but um, I I was thinking about, you know, because you often talk in in, or teach in terms of like personalities or books, you Mm -hmm. know, in other words, you know, this is what so-and-so taught and and this is, these are the books that that so-and-so wrote. Um, I'm curious if you were to distill maybe a few, not comprehensive, but a few of the principles that um, come out that are like bright shining lights um, and maybe are repeatable in all of these great works that you, that, you know, that you teach, would you be able to name, you know, a couple of them that you think just like, Oh, this is, these are what the founding, this is why the, these are the principles that the, that the resonated with the founding fathers and any, anything that they read and, and yeah. Well, at the beginning of the um, Founder's Recipe book, I actually have a section that like 16 principles of, I don't know what I call it, freedom or liberty or something. Yeah. And I put these 16 principles and then like um, sources where you can go, not only sources from the statements of our founding fathers, but then the books that they read where you can go and see them. But I, no, I actually like that. I'm, I'm glad you're recording this because maybe I'll... I'll say something that helps myself because <laughs> being being required to think about it, I think uh, first and most important, I think, would be the you don't you neither you don't get your rights from a piece of paper. The founding fathers were insistent that God is the source of our rights, and therefore, as the giver. He is the only one qualified to take away. Therefore, there is no, that's, you know, unalienable as used in the Declaration of Independence does not just mean someone can't take it. It also means you can't give it, right? People often interpret that unalienable. You can't take this. No, it also means you can't give it away. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the thing that the source of rights is, is God, not the constitution or any other piece of paper. Um, I think second of all would be government exists for one reason and one reason only, and that is to make the governed freer. And if government ceases to act in the benefit of the governed, then the governed are duty bound to form a new government that does perform the one and only object of its existence, which is to make you freer. Uh, so that's the second thing. Um, yeah. The third thing, I guess, would be consent of the governed is the, and this is related, of course, but consent of the governed is the only legitimate basis for government. Um. I would say they would also say that property, the protection of property, the ownership of property is is paramount 
mm-hmm. in a self-governing society that if you do not own property, there are certain virtues and certain qualities and certain principles that would not occur to you otherwise. Um, oh, yeah. That man is endowed by nature with an absolute right of protecting his life, his liberty, and his property. That that right is absolute. Um, that any individual magistrate, what we might call politician, any office holder who exceeds the, who goes beyond the boundaries of his authority as established by the people, then that person ceases to actually function as in that office and becomes just a regular person and should be treated as such. Um, so if you're, yeah, you know, if you're a Supreme Court justice and you decide you're going to rewrite a law, then you're, that's not, that's not a, a law and you're not a justice anymore. Right. Um, that every, every act of a magistrate, an office holder that goes beyond the limits of their authority, uh, that the people have an absolute right to consider that act null, void, and of no legal effect. That it is as if they had not spoken if that which they speak goes beyond their, their, their power as expressed either by the people or by the people in a written document. Right. So, so a governor has no right to shut down a church for any reason. No, 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 no right. right. I just want to make sure of that. <laughs> and a couple of things like tyrants who by, you know, tyrant comes from the Etruscan word tyrannos which was a title they would give to a mistress, uh, to, you know, uh, someone with whom a man has an extramarital affair. And the reason Turanos came down to tyrant is because it's basically a person who takes to himself the rights belonging to another. So in the case of a mistress, it's a woman who is taking love and affection from a man when that love and affection rightly belongs to his wife. And so that word, that Etruscan, which goes, you know, older than Latin, that word comes down to us and we, Turanos, and we call it tyrant. And it just means someone who takes authority uh, that is not rightfully their own. And so our founding fathers from, you you can read it right through the stream of everything they, they, all the, philosophy and history that from which they drank, tyrants are the enemy of the people and against tyranny, every man is a soldier that is repeated everything from, you know, from Cicero to Algernon Sidney. Right. Um, and that, uh, people have an obligation to dispose of tyrants and that, no man, all men are equal, all men are born equal, and no man obtains authority over another man to bind the actions of that other man except through consent 
or force. So if you do not consent, then by default, that's force. And force, any time a tyrant or any man who is your equal attempts to force you mm-hmm. to obey his will and to supplant your own with his will, then you are not only right to ignore that, but you you have an obligation to do so. Yeah. And that for there to be tyranny, there must be obedience. That no man becomes a tyrant unless people obey him. And, um, I mean, those, every, every society has the natural right to enter and to exit uh, confederacies Mm -hmm. as they wish, as benefits them, because at the end of the day, any sort of government, the idea of that government is that it is benefiting you. And if you, as, you know, a smaller society joined together with other small societies in some sort of league or some sort of commonwealth, and that league or commonwealth no longer serves your purposes, then you are absolutely within your rights to, to exit, mm-hmm. to withdraw from that league. That really ultimately is the nature of liberty, isn't it? It's not yeah. the nature to join, it's the nature to leave. <laughs> like if, right. I mean, yeah, both, but can... it's really, the, the bottom line is if I can't leave, then I'm really not free. Well, that's the thing. Ultimately, if, if, there, if you, you know, come together in a league with other republics, for example, and you decide that the leadership that, you know, we have established to sort of make decisions for the league is now those decisions are putting my particular republic at a disadvantage to others, then you have an obligation to withdraw. You have an obligation to the citizens of your republic to withdraw from that league, that confederation. You have to do that because if you cannot, then two things. Number one, you as the magistrate, the politician or whatever that made the decision to join the league, you're responsible then to your people for any abuses committed by the league. And the second thing is, you know, you, it it will be you suborning fraud or coercion. And the moment you do that, then you cease to be whatever you cease to legally occupy whatever offices to which you were elected. Yeah. And all of the, I mean, and of course, when you talk economically, the idea is that every man is entitled to enjoy the fruits of his own labor without interference or obligation to any other man. Uh, that if you want to help your fellow man, that's on you, but you have no, you, you cannot be forced right. to, to be, to give money to others that you have the right to keep that, which is yours. And I know 
if if you permit the government to force charity upon you, then if you let them do it at one percent philosophically, there's nothing that stops them from taking a hundred percent. Because what you're saying is, okay, I agree that there's some need for the government to take my money by force. I'm right. not going to fight them, but I know it's forcible because if I do fight them, I go to prison. Right. right. So it is by force. It's not consent. But you say, I'm not going to put up the fight. Like if the guy you know, assaults you with a gun at the ATM and says, take $300 out, just because you do it doesn't mean you've consented to it. Right. Right. Because you're doing it under duress. And so, but a lot of the thinkers, you know, Trenchard and Gordon, Sidney, Locke, a lot of these guys said that if you, if you stipulate to governments forcibly taking any even small percentage of your property, the fruits of your labor from you, then philosophically, all that government would have to do is, is two things. Number one, come up with a reason, a, a at least superficially justifiable reason to take more of your money. And once it does that, it has to have the force sufficient to, to coerce you into obedience. Right. And so that's another thing. The founding fathers, I mean, you have someone like Samuel Adams who they ask, you know, why do you care? This tax is nothing. And he's like, it could be a penny a decade and I wouldn't pay it because of the principle of it, you know. Yeah. And yeah, so speaking of that, I don't know if you, and, and, and I don't want to, I want to, I want to state a principle and I think we can have a principle discussion about this, about this, but it is something that I just saw, um, uh, with the Supreme court. Um, just, uh, you, and I find it fascinating. Uh, again, this proves that every government judge is a bribe judge, but, um, unanimous, unanimously decided that it was okay for the IRS to go to third parties and to do and to summon information without your knowledge and not nobody has to tell you so for example if you're a business owner and the irs suspects or or has some inkling needs your money for whatever reason and they always need your money you know they can go to bank of america where you bank at and they could uh summons all your bank statements compare them to your income and you're no the why you're none the wiser that that ever happened Mm-hmm. How would the founders? I'm trying to think principally here. How would the founders treat those people, those judges that that unanimously decided in favor of the government to do that? Um, hang them from the highest tree, right? That's. I mean, that's what I want. I'm, I'm like Clarence Thomas, you jerk. Oh, like, it's, there's no. They're but all. Like, you have to understand. This position that we're in as a country. First of all, we've allowed it. And second of all, our founding fathers never would have, they, they wouldn't, I mean, you can just see in the, the record of their acts. I know that there's a recent biography of Samuel Adams that was, and it's a brilliant um, biography of Samuel Adams. And in it, the, the biographer says, you know, this was not, this is one of those things where there were petition after petition after petition after appeal after appeal to justice and right and 
and rights of an Englishman and Magna Carta and just common decency, 10 years of ignoring those. And it's like the founding fathers, like, you know, the shot heard around the world. But what it says in this biography is like, that is true. But also people in the colonies, individual men would refuse to serve in positions like tax collector right. or anything like that because they had seen, I mean, they literally, you know, a mob of people went to the, the home of the, the, the governor, the royal governor, and just ransacked it and ran he and his family out in the middle of the night. They could get in a boat and go to England, go back to England. But and people see that as so violent, and yes, it is. But you're just matching force for force. You know, it's like in the law. I don't know about every state, but for example, in Tennessee, there's this thing where if someone breaks into your home, there's a a presumption that they intend to do harm to you, and you can answer that with whatever force you have available, including deadly force. And so, yes, I have. You know, theoretically, you have a security company and you have a little sign, you know, ADT or whatever in your yard. But if someone takes it upon themselves to, you know, trespass beyond that and try to get in your house, is it violent to shoot the 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 thief? Yes. Is it justifiable? Also, yes. And so our founding fathers, they would hang effigies. They they would go to the I mean, you literally, Mike, if you read the history, they would watch. They would have men, young men, watch and see what route, you know, these tax collectors or or stamp officers or whatever, whatever route they would walk from home to to their office. And then they would plan to hang effigies that looked like that person from trees on that route. So that that guy going to work would be like, oh no. Right. And when you do that, when you consistently back that up, then people learn the lesson. And the lesson was, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to serve in the IRS because serving the IRS gets, makes your life a living hell. But as it is now, what, who, what, what, what are we going to do? What's anybody yeah. going to do about that uh, Supreme Court ruling? I mean, What's- you're going to do everything that I just did. Shake your fist and say you're a jerk, which yeah. does nothing. Right, which, and, and it does nothing, exactly. And the, the hope that I have is like, um, you know, it's Sidney, James Harrington. If you haven't read Oceana, man, do yourself a solid. Read James Harrington's Oceana. He's a guy not known at all anymore, but... He essentially gave his life for the things he wrote in Oceana because he was locked up in the tower and went insane because of their mistreatment of him. Never recovered his his sanity after that. Lost his family because of it. But um, something that he says, something that Sidney says, is um, that the hope... What if if you find yourself, if you look around and you find yourself governed by tyrants, the hope of restoration of liberty lies in a in, in a rising generation of young people who have taught to them 
the principles upon which the original constitution was founded, right? Mercy Otis Warren, you know, an, an American lady, obviously the author of the first account of the American War for Independence, she said, she's like, if we can get our, and she said, young men, if we can get our young men to to read Sidney and Harrington, then those young men will not. And she said, that's ultimately why the War for Independence was successful, because those young men and the Founding Fathers were young men in 1775. Those young men were trained and were inculcated with those principles taught by Sidney and Harrington that here are the principles upon which free societies are based. And against anyone who would rob you of your liberty, that person is a public enemy and you have every right to use force against that public enemy. And all my hope is that, that if we can get enough of our young people who are kept out of the government schools and who not just homeschool, because I don't know about you. I mean, you're a homeschool dad and I teach lots of homeschool people and I see too much school and not enough home in homeschooling. You know, they just basically take school and bring it home. That's not, that's better than nothing, but that's not the idea. The idea is bring them out of there so you can teach them the things that were taught to generations past that, that made them the men and women that they were. And so ultimately, how do we get rid of the IRS? How do we get rid of, you know, uh, the oligarchy of the Supreme Court? Simple. We have a generation that rises up and not only refuses to acknowledge their decrees, but forcefully pushes them back inside the boundaries of their consensual authority. And if that takes force, then that's what it takes. Right. Right. And that's- we will have, we will have those, you know, we will have those people. There's, there's no doubt about that, whether it requires ultimately some sort of, you know, armed, bloody resistance. I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful that it won't, but if it does, we'll have, we'll have a generation of people prepared to do that. And that's what it takes, Mike. I mean, ultimately, we like to put pictures of the Founding Fathers on the wall, but we sure hate doing what they did. And when anybody mentions doing what they did, even conservatives, you know, they they cringe when you mention the violence used by our Founding. But it was violence. (laughs) I mean, the the Founders were, were... complete radicals compared to any kind of, you know, right-wing conservative that you'd see today. I mean, such radicals. Oh yeah. I mean, they, they, thank uh, goodness. They're not even on the same plane, you know? I mean, thank goodness that they felt that way. You know, it's like people always say when I do these videos and I quote these, you know, just fiery quotations from the guys that our founding fathers read growing up, they're like, Oh my gosh. And I'm like, yeah, I get what you're saying. Oh my gosh. When someone like Trenchard and Gordon says, well, just lop their heads off. You don't need to invent a new way to punish tyrants. Just cut their heads off, right? Or just hang them. You don't need new, uh, new, think up some new way to punish them. Just do the old ways or just fine. It's fine right. and it's quick. And so, 
Um, but the other thing is that clarity of thought. Like, grouse I, and, and get a little bit like, oh, you shouldn't say that. I'm like, well, it's a good thing someone said it because those are the principles that taught our founding fathers and not only enabled them, but inspired them to make a, a forceful and manful defense of their God-given liberty. You are listening to And If Love Remains. The first of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt. Trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization down.